that your time here will be well spent, that you'll feel closer to God after leaving, and we'll come back tonight for another worship service. It's nice to see all the bow ties as well. We started this uh, a few years back, uh, kept it up as a tradition, kind of fun. We don't often wear bow ties, but we look fancy when we do, I think. I like that. We do things like this to give us a sense of community. Whenever you have a community of people, a group of people, it's good that they do things that tie them together, and just a little simple act like this tends to bring people closer. Say, I like your tie, or I like yours. Many of you today may be wearing Brother Hayes shorts, bow tie, and so glad that you were able to be a part of this and commemorate him. He had a whole lot of ties, more than I've ever owned in my entire life. And uh, some of you are wearing those today, so it's also good to, to think of him, the one who passed not too long ago. We also do the fellowship meals. I hope you'll be here next week for the chat and chew, for the good food, but also for the fellowship. For it's through events like that, like Bible class, like the other spiritual things, so many things we do here to build community. It helps us grow closer together. And I hope you'll continue to take part in that. For we live in an evil world. And it's through simple things, it's through well thought out things that bring us closer to one another and that will bring you ultimately closer to God. Which is our purpose here. To bring you closer and to bring other people closer as well. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, when Paul was writing to the young preacher Timothy, he was trying to get some things across to him. And as you read this letter, you can see he's, he's trying to handle some big issues in a very small space of time. Writing on papyrus in those days was quite the task, much more difficult than our writing systems of today. So Paul had to get down and say what he wanted to say to Timothy so that Timothy could understand his role as a minister. So Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3, If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing but he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, and evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Paul is looking to bring some better understanding to Timothy and he's saying there are people who, you know, they teach another doctrine. They're only interested in strife and in envy and in abusive language. And they're doing these things, preaching what they think is the true gospel, which it is not. Why is that? For they believe that godliness is a means of gain. In other words, if they can say they live for Christ, if they can say that they follow Him and teach Him, perhaps they'll make a lot of money. Anytime a new business system kind of comes around, people look at it and say, oh, that'll, 
That'll never make money. Uber and Lyft. <laughs> Twitter. You know, that'll never make money. But then there are other people who see an opportunity. And that's what people were doing here. Huh, there's this new teaching that's coming around. I wonder if I can make money on it. These were opportunists. Of course, these were people that did not need to proclaim the gospel in this way. Paul was trying to show Timothy, hey, there's people doing this, but, you know, there's something wrong with it. Look at verse 6. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. So these men, these people were trying to get great gain by proclaiming the gospel in a false way many times. But then Paul says, you know what, though? Actually, you do gain a lot by following Christ, but it has to come from contentment, not from any sort of financial gain. <clears throat> Why is that? For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. So what Timothy here as a young preacher is hearing, was a young preacher, what he's hearing is, Oh, so Paul's telling me I'm not going to make a lot of money. That's right, Timothy, you're not going to make a lot of money at all. But you'll gain a whole lot. But you know what? That gain has to be followed by contentment. Because we're going to get into the teachings here of how the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. That's the, the springboard of our lesson this morning. But there is, there is gain through godliness, but you have to be content with it. You have to do some other things as well, and we're going to talk about those. Verse 9. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. There are many who are not content. They want to get rich. They want more and more of what they already have. You know, this can be compared to our physical diets. You know, the more you eat sugar-wise, the hungrier you get. That's why you can eat two, maybe three pieces of pie at Thanksgiving. Y'all never do that? Maybe it's just me. But whenever you eat that first piece of pie, you oh, I'm so full, but then your blood sugar raises, and you think, oh, I could eat another one. I could eat another one. So you go on and on, and so you see, when you eat a lot of sugar in your, in your physical body, that raises your blood sugar, which makes your brain, your body, think that it's hungry, and so you eat more and more and more, and you never actually get full. The other day, I fixed a bowl of brown rice, and I looked, at this bowl of brown rice, and I thought, that's not ever going to fill me up. Sure enough, it did. Why? Because it was healthy. It was something my body needed. It was something my body craved. And whenever I got what, I, what it needed, when it got what it needed, what it desired so much in reality, it was content with what it had. Whenever you are after the wrong things, in many ways, many times, you'll not be content at all. Sin, you see, is the enemy of the Christian. Sin is the enemy, and if we look at this, and Paul is trying to convey to Timothy, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. You know, the, the, the sin that you have in your life might be tied to money, might be tied to something else. It's going to be tied to not being content in one way or another. 
But the question I'd like to ask this morning as we continue in this passage is this, what should Christians do in a world full of sin? The psalmist says in chapter 66 and verse 18, if I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. So if I engage with sin in my life, the Lord's not going to hear me. I don't want that. I know you don't. Isaiah 59 verse 2, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. So we can engage with sin, and the Lord's not going to hear us. God's not going to hear us because our iniquities are going to separate us from Him. I don't like being separated from my Heavenly Father. You know, I thought Mama left me at a Fred's department store one time, and that was a scary five minutes. You know, she left me, I thought, but really, I'd left her is what had happened. That's what happens with God sometimes, is that we engage in sin, and we, we leave Him. And that sin separates us. So we've got to see what Paul is getting at here. He says, Timothy, there's some, there's some people who are trying to get, get gain through Scripture. You, you don't need to be that way. We need to be more, more content. And he goes on through the rest of this passage through verse 12 and gives Timothy and gives us all some fantastic instructions of what we must do while we are living in a sinful world. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10 says this, or Verse 10, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, by longing for money, by not being content with what they have, have wandered away from faith, from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Because they loved money, they went in one direction and they regretted it, I'm sure. It pierced them with many griefs. It hurt their heart. It hurt their spiritual nature. So starting in verse 11, we're going to see what we must do. And perhaps the sin you're engaged in might not be uh, because of the love of money. It might be because of the love of something else. Or perhaps the lack of love for your Heavenly Father. Whatever the case might be, we're going to look at three things this morning that you must do as we all live in this sinful world. The first thing you must do is flee from sin. He says in verse 11, after he've talked of, he's talked about these various sins, Paul says to Timothy in the first part of verse 11, flee from these things, you man of God. I hope we strive for the second part of that phrase, to be a man of God, to be a woman of God, but we must also realize that in keeping with that, we must flee from sinful things. Our surest safety from sin and its temptation is to flee from it, to get away from it, like you might flee from a dangerous animal, like you might flee from a snake or, or from a poisonous insect. You see that and you don't think, oh, I think that snake's coming over here. I think I'll see what it does. You don't do that. You try to get away from that sin. You try to get away from that snake to get away from that dangerous thing. You flee from it. In this passage, the danger of sin is expressed in three ways. Let's look back at it. We'll see it. You'll see it in verse 9, and you'll see it at the start of verse 10. The first uh, way that it is expressed is through the imagery of a drowning man. 
The last part of verse 9, my, cha- my, my translation, the New American Standard 1995 edition, says to plunge men. But yours, the King James, the New King James, perhaps the NIV, illustrates it more as a drowning man. Either way, the imagery is of going underwater, going underwater and drowning. And drowning's not fun. I used to do mud runs when I was a runner, uh, such as it was, I guess. But I did a mud run one time, and one of the obstacles was you were to climb up this ladder and jump from a platform about as high as this ceiling down into a pool of water. Pretty big, pretty deep. And my big old self got up there, and I just stepped off into the water, and I was tired. This is about halfway through the race. It's about a 10-mile race, and I fell into the water. And I'm floating there, mid-water, and I think, I better do something. So I started kicking and swam out. I was that tired. I, I fell down. Boy, this water sure does feel good. Wait, Dale, don't drown. So I woke up, and I swam to the surface and, and swam over to the edge. But a lot of people find themselves in that particular situation, and they don't think about doing anything different. They're drowning in their sin. Whenever you can't swim, when you're surrounded by sin, when you're drowning in it, it's very difficult to get out of it. In our lakes and and rivers throughout Middle Tennessee, the Corps of Engineers, whoever might be running the area, will have a sign and it'll say how many people drown with and without a life jacket. It's very sobering. People will just slip into the water that will never resurface. Drowning is scary. I know how to swim, and being in water, not knowing how to swim, I'm sure would be very scary as well. So the the imagery here is, if you're drowning in sin, you're in a very dangerous place. That's what sin will do to you. It will drown you. And we see in verse 10, we see that the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. So the imagery here is of a tree's root system. Have you ever tried to dig up a, a root ball or, or something like that? Have you ever tried to like cut down a tree or maybe dig up the root system? Very difficult. Near impossible. I know some of you have dealt with that. Brother Brian has dealt with trees and some of you others may have, you know, getting the stumps out. They don't try to dig up the root system. Whoop. They don't try to dig up the root system. They just grind the tree down to the ground because fiddling with that root system would be entirely too difficult. Well, the love of money is the root of all evil. Temptations, lust, unbelief, sorrow, destruction, these are the branches, and the root system quite often is in your heart. When you're rooted in that, the sin is so ingrained in who you are, it's tough to get rid of it. Perhaps you haven't been taught ever that something is a particular sin. Perhaps the behavior, pride, or or lust was seen quite often in your home. And so you're not sure how to get that root out of your heart because that's the only behavior you've only ever seen or perhaps some other addiction or, or, or simple sin that will grow and bring forth death, by the way. Perhaps some small sin roots itself in your heart and grows and becomes bigger and bigger and it's very difficult to get that out. But that's how sin is inside of you. That's why you must flee. You don't want to drown. You don't want to have sin rooted in your heart. 
and you most certainly don't want to be a trapped animal. For that's the other imagery that we see in verse 9 when he mentions a snare. There are many who want to get rich. They fall into temptation. And a snare gets them. And it's like they are drowning in their ruin because money is the root of all kinds of evil. That's where all this stuff comes from. This is the imagery he's trying to convey to Timothy. This is bad stuff, man. Help the people see it. Trappers in Alaska and other areas, they'll trap marten, bobcats, lynx for their fur. And they'll lure these animals in with something they like. And it's just a split second after the animal sniffs out whatever it is, whatever the bait or the lure is, and it's that next second that they realize they hadn't gone on and done what they'd done. And when somebody is ensnared with sin, quite often they look and they think, what have I done? Because now they're trapped. Now they can't get out of it. It's very difficult. But what does Paul say? Paul says, flee. Don't be trapped. Don't drown. Don't let sin take root in your heart. But flee from the sin that is out there. The next thing we must do is follow. We read this in verse 11. Some of your translations might also say pursue. But if you are drowning or trapped somehow and you recognize it is evil, perhaps you're now afraid. Let me say that again. Perhaps you've been rooted in sin, you're drowning, or you're trapped somehow. Whenever you finally realize that, like each of those people that might find themselves in that physical spot, you finding yourself now in that spiritual spot, now you are afraid. And then hopefully the next desire is for something different, for something to change. So what do you do? Let's look at verse 11. He says to flee from these things, you man of God, and follow righteousness, follow righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. That's the interesting thing about human behavior, is that if you leave one thing behind, if you flee from it, you've got to replace it with something else. Whatever bad habit you might engage in, you can't just quit the habit. You've got to start a new habit. You've got to start a better habit. And the good things in life, you see, they must be pursued. They must be followed. If you want to improve your health, you must seek after that. If you want to improve a skill, you must practice that. If you want a stronger faith, you must develop that. Psalm chapter 34 and verse 14 says, Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Seek peace and follow it. You might find peace, but you continually have to go after it as well. And you must continually go after the things that are mentioned there in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 11. The first thing he mentions here is righteousness. This is how we deal with our fellow man, Proverbs eleven nine. With his mouth the godless man destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge the righteous man will be delivered. Proverbs 20 and verse 7. A righteous man who walks is in integrity. How blessed are his sons after him. So we must follow after righteousness, after fleeing from sin. And then we must follow after godliness, godliness, our relationship with God. Isaiah chapter 51, verses 1 and 2, if you'd like to be turning there, please. We're going to read this passage directly. 
Godliness has to do with our relationship with God. If you've been engaging in sin, if you've been drowning in it, rooted in it, if you've been just wallowing in sin, then you've got a relationship with that. Well, that relationship must be replaced with a relationship with God. Isaiah 51 and verse 1, Listen to me, you who pursue, who follow righteousness, who seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. If you are trying to follow God, look to the one you follow. Look to Abraham, he says, in verse 2, your father, and to Sarah who gave birth to you in pain. When he was but one, I called him, then I blessed him and multiplied him. Look to your relationship with God and what he's done for you. The difficult things he's gotten you through, the life that he's changed for you, the new life that he's given you, look to that. Too many people look to the, the glorious sin they have in their life and they praise that. They praise that and that's not leading to godliness, friend. But that's what we must be following after is godliness. The next thing we must follow after is faith, which is the root of righteousness and godliness. Ephesians 6 and verse 16. In addition to all taking up the shield of faith, which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. We must practice, we must develop our faith. That, that's what we must pursue as we read in 1 Timothy chapter 6. The next thing we must also pursue is love. It's how faith can work. We read of this, Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What your physical body you know, does, how you might have it marked up, whatever you might be doing with that, means any, it doesn't mean anything, Paul told the Galatian congregation. But faith working through love is what's important. Next, we must follow after perseverance or patience. For you will need this with your fellow man, but also... For yourself. Sometimes we get so discouraged. We try to leave the sin behind. We try to be more godly. We try to be more righteous and we think, well, I've just failed all over again, so why try? I've failed too many times. Well, we read in James, who was writing to people who had misused their riches, actually, and this was causing difficulties among the people. That's the first few verses of James chapter 5. And then he gets to verse 7. He says, therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. For the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. Sometimes we can be so impatient with each other and with ourselves. Somebody said they'll change and they don't. They said they'll change and they don't. You keep waiting and waiting for them to change and they don't but perhaps a little more patience, a little more prayer, a little more perseverance, a little more faith that God's still working on that person and perhaps He's still working on you as well. Perhaps that'll go a long way. So we must follow after patience and we must also follow after gentleness. Gentleness with our friends and even our enemies. Proverbs 24, verse 19. Do not fret because of evildoers. Or be envious of the wicked. You ever find yourself doing that? Comparing your life to perhaps a, an evil person, someone who doesn't live righteously. You ever compare yourself to that person? 
Proverbs writer is saying here, do not worry about that. Do not fret because of evildoers or be envious of the wicked. It's easy to do that because they seem to have mountains of money, maybe. They have lots of things you don't have, but what are we told to do? We're told to be content, not worry about that stuff, not worry about physical possessions, for it's what brings us away from God rather than closer to Him. For there will be no future for the evil man, and the lamp of the wicked will be put out. We must be gentle as we read of this in verse in First Timothy chapter six. We must be gentle. These are the things that we must follow. Put away those worldly sins, those worldly philosophies, and follow after these things. And lastly, we must fight. Paul says in First Timothy chapter six and verse twelve. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life in which you were called and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. The imagery of 1 Timothy chapter 6 has actually changed at this point. The first two can be viewed as runners. You're fleeing from sin and you're fleeing Two, those righteous things, godliness, patience, gentleness. You're running after those things. You're following them. So the imagery here is of a runner. And then it moves on to a fighter. In regards to the runner, many of you may know Scott Witeka. He's won the Music City Marathon several years in a row. Was the PE coach for many of our young people here. He would, before a race, he would eat a bowl of Lucky Charms. If I eat a bowl of Lucky Charms, I crash for two hours and then try to eat some protein after that. But this fellow, by a large margin, will run a race and win, win very well. Probably weighs 125 soaking wet. That's part of his strength. But he can run, and that's the kind of person you want to be when you're running away from sin and trying to follow trying to run to the good things that God has granted us. But when I'm ready to fight, I want to fight like a soldier. I want to fight with the instruments that we read of in Ephesians chapter 6. And you've got to be willing to fight against those things. Because while you're, while you're fleeing from sin, you know what it's trying to do? It's trying to catch back up with you. It's trying to catch you all over again. Because the devil knows he had you once, and he's going to try to have you again. So we've got to remember and keep in mind who it is that we're fighting. For our enemy is threefold. First, our enemy is external. Let's look at 1 John chapter 2. We talked last week about what philosophies you live by, what, what sort of principles do you live by. Hopefully it's by the Holy Word of God. And here we see that there are certain things in life that steer us from God, that steer us to sin. Paul says to the Colossians, while you're turning to 1 John, he says to the Colossians, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men. That's what a lot of people get ensnared by, like the wild animal. That's what a lot of people have rooted in their heart are the traditions of men according to the elementary principles of the world. Those things that people just kind of believe, but we should be following Christ. 
So be taken captive by that, not by what the world says. And let's look at what 1 John 2 says, verse 15. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So you've got to flee that worldly stuff, and you've got to fight it off. You've got to fight to make sure that you love God continually. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but it's from the world. But this is what people try to fight to keep in themselves. They try to fight to stay in that snare. They try to fight to stay in the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. They want to fight in that. But Christian, you should be fighting to get out of it so that you can feel better, so that you can be better for the one who died for you. There's also an internal war as well. Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 7, 21 through 24. I remember when I first read this passage and, and really read it. My freshman year at, at Freed Hardeman, and I opened my Bible one day and started reading. It's funny how providence will work that way, but this verse has stuck with me ever since. Romans chapter 7, 21 through 24, our, our, our enemy is external, our enemy although is also internal. Paul writes about it very well here. Romans 7, 21, I find then the principle that evil is present in me. Paul, the one who converted from Judaism and slaughtering Christians, says to himself, I know that there is a principle, I find in the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. Evil's in me, but I want to do good, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. I want to do good, and I know that I should, verse 23, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. I'm warring. I know I should do good, but I don't. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? So many people are asking that question this morning. I know I should do good, but I constantly, I constantly look at things, watch things, listen things, engage in behaviors that I know I shouldn't, and why do I do that? And who will deliver me? God's there to deliver you. Jesus, who died for you, is ready to deliver you. But you've got to start fighting. You've got to start fleeing from that sinful desire, from those fleshly desires. You've got to start following righteousness, and you've got to start fighting as though your life depended on it because Satan's coming after you. 1 Peter 5 and verse 8 talks about him being a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Not a bobcat, not, not a cheetah, but the largest of the cats, the most dangerous, the most fierce, that runs in packs, the roaring lion trying to devour you. That's what you got to fight against. And if you're going to fight, as I mentioned earlier, you must arm yourself. You must arm yourself with these things, with the truth about your loins, with the breastplate of righteousness, shoes that are the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, as we mentioned earlier, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. Too many people are not fighting with these implements. Like I said before, they're fighting to stay in their sin. You've got to fight to start getting out of it and start fighting for your spiritual life like you never have before. So as you live in this worldly, evil place, remember to flee from sin, to follow righteousness and godliness and those other things, and to fight 
as a Christian should. Never give up. Perhaps you've given up and you need to change this morning. Perhaps you've given up and you're, you're here, but you're not following Christ as you should. Start fleeing from that sin again and follow Him once more. And start the fight all over again because Christ is there ready to forgive you. If you're a Christian and need that forgiveness, come forward. Or if you're not a Christian and want to start the good fight of faith, come forward and let us baptize you this morning into the body of Christ so that you might be saved and have a heavenly home someday. If you have either of those needs, please come forward now as we stand and sing.